Welcome, everyone. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one through Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for every man. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So we've been covering in the last few weeks the uh, book of Acts. And um, as we've talked about here, we talked uh, early in the church, we, you know, we uh, began with the birth of the church, the persecution and growth of the church, the um, Paul's missionary journeys. He's went on, he went on three missionary journeys. And today we're going to talk about his final journey, right? His journey from Jerusalem uh, after he returns to Jerusalem, after the third missionary journey. Now he's traveling uh, his final travel to the city of Rome. Um, so when we read at the end of chapter one, uh, the main issue again is the purification by the law throughout the book of, uh, the acts throughout the whole book of acts and throughout many of the Pauline epistles and even some of the Catholic epistles, this dark cloud kind of is overshadowing the apostles. It's really interesting. Um, it's the issue of the first issue that the church had to deal with which is the issue of whether or not the early Christians, uh, especially the Gentiles, had to become Jewish first. And what, what does that mean? It means that they had to first observe the law and um, practice all the, the, the laws of the Old Testament before they become Christian again. They wrestled with this issue. It was the first real controversy in the church on how, how to deal with these Gentiles. Because if you know... Before this point, the Gentiles were unclean, right? They were uh, people that you weren't even allowed to talk to, to eat with. Uh, they were uncircumcised dogs that you couldn't really um, associate with at all. And so now, you know, St. Peter has this vision like we talked about. And, you know, from that vision, he realizes that we, we shouldn't call anyone unclean. And then the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, it falls on the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's beginning to fall on many others as St. Paul is uh, preaching throughout the world and at Antioch where they're first called Christians uh, in Samaria. And then it just kind of preached uh, and it grows all over the world, right? And the issue keeps coming back, right? They have a council in Jerusalem, like we talked about, and they you know, supposedly resolve the issue, right? That Gentiles are not going to be held to any kind of Old Testament standards regarding purification of the law, except for a few things like sexual morality and to not eat things strangled or, or by blood. And so they would basically be free of all those things because we are now in a time of grace. And so they're wrestling with this issue. Uh, we even talk about the fact that even St. Peter, who has this vision and who, you know, after he went through the council, even he was kind of kind of swept up with the hypocrisy and cowardness of the other Jewish people, the Jewish Christians who would not give equal rights or equal place to the Gentile believers. And so even to the point where St. Mark, I'm sorry, St. Paul rebuked St. Peter in front of everyone. They kind of have this little um, you know, conflict in front of everyone when he sees St. Peter eating with the Gentiles, but when the Jewish Christians come, he won't eat with them anymore. So it's this issue that keeps popping back and forth. Back, how, what do we do with these, uh, these new believers, these Gentiles? They never had to deal with this before. Even though 
the return of the Gentiles to God after thousands of years of forgetting God from Adam to that point, and after having complex theological paganism that existed, are now beginning to abandon these and to come to Christianity, right? It wasn't Judaism that brought the Gentiles to God, right? It was Christianity that did that. And, you know, it happened according to prophecy. It, the prophecies were there in the Old Testament, which we covered in the previous uh, weeks, that the Gentiles would return to God and they would return in great number, right? And so now this fulfillment is happening and, and the early church is struggling. How do they deal with it, right? So we start off again with chapter 21, right? Um, the issue of purification of the law comes up again. Even St. James asked St. Paul, hey, you know, just to appease these uh, early you know, Jewish Christians, why don't you take yourself and four others that we have here and go and purify them according to the custom of the law and do it just to appease them. And so St. Paul then uh, takes these four, that he does that, he does as asked. Nevertheless, he's still arrested in, uh, in Jerusalem, just like we was prophesied about in the previous weeks. And we read about this issue again and again in the epistles of St. Paul, right, where he, like, minimizes the role of the law and the, um, the works of the law. And so our Protestant brothers and sisters who take these verses maybe out of context and say all works are not necessary. No, what we're talking about are the works in the Old Testament that shadow the things that Christ accomplished in the New Testament. So, for example, um, the, the laws associated with the Passover, for example. You know, we wouldn't practice those because Christ is our Pascha, right? And we practice it in the time of grace in a, in a new form um, with Christ being the center of that, uh, of that Passover. Um, bapt, um, the circumcision, right, was replaced by the grace of baptism, right, the putting off of the old man and the new man, uh, raising up again as a new man in that early, in that new creation that we received when we were first created with Adam and Eve, and so on and so forth, all those things that pointed to the time of grace that we're living in now, the Christianity, uh, the, the sacrifices and the economy that Christ performed, and um, the return of the Gentiles, all those things pointed to the time we're living now. But the works of love and the works of um, that faith working through love, as was described, um, those, of course, continue and they're essential for our salvation, right? That they work in faith. Our works are in faith and in love. Nevertheless, though, we, we, we see here, even though Paul tries to appease them, um, Paul, it was in the temple and they arrested him on the basis that he teaches men against the law and against the temple, right? And for bringing Gentiles in the, in the temple. How dare you bring Gentiles into the temple to profane this holy place? He's beaten and they wanted to kill him, but these Roman soldiers come in and they, they take him. And just like in previous weeks, what we're going to do is go through it and kind of pause at some points uh, to discuss. And please jump in uh, to add and jump in to, uh, you know, correct me, jump in to whatever you like to, um, if you have anything to add to this. So in chapter 22, St. Paul addresses the crowd that uh, led to his arrest, right? He speaks to them in Hebrew, and so they start listening. He reminds them that he was brought up in this city and that he was just like them. They continue to listen. 
that he learned under the feet of Gamaliel. And they further listen, because they all know Gamaliel, right? Uh, in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel is uh, mentioned as a teacher of the law, and he, he was held in respect by all the people. He's the one who defended the apostles by asking for leniency, telling everyone, hey, don't fight against these apostles, if you, lest you be found to be fighting against God, right? So he was a real figure in the Jewish uh, tradition, in the Talmud, for example, in the Mishnah. He's mentioned uh, as a man in, uh, held in high regard, right? He was a, a great teacher of the time, not just in the book of Acts, as he mentioned, but also in Jewish tradition. But he's there and he, he's, you know, St. Paul learned under him and, and Gamaliel was a, a person respected. And again, he appeals to them as a fellow Jew and reminds them that he too once persecuted the church. They're continuing to listen, right? They're listening to this uh, discourse that St. Paul is giving. Um, and he reminded them that I even consented to the death of St. Stephen until his conversion and baptism. And then he says that he was sent to the Gentiles. At that point, they, they refused to listen. And, you know, they were listening to everything, but when they heard that God would be given to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit would re rest upon the, uh, the Gentiles, they wanted to kill him. And, and, it, and it's really interesting when you read it. They didn't just say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to listen anymore, I'm out. No, they went crazy. They tore off their, uh, their clothes and they threw dust in the air in a frenzy. They just couldn't imagine bringing in Gentiles to the temple and treating them as equals in front of God, right? That God loves us the same as everyone else, right? Egyptians being brought into the Holy of Holies? How can that be? I, I mean, it must have drove them crazy. And, and the book of Acts here uh, talked about that. Again, this issue of the Gentiles receiving the word of God and including them as equal in the faith just was a major, major stumbling block. And it's like this dark cloud that hovers on the early Christians. It's the first real heresy, the first real struggle uh, that the early Christians had to deal with. So the Roman soldiers again interceded and they took Paul, the chief priest, and their... Um, he, um, he took St. Paul, the chief priest, and their council to appear. He kind of held this small council, and he put everybody in the same room. But he, he left the multitude outside. So when, with the Roman commander present, St. Paul now addressed just the leaders and appeals to them that he follows the same law, and his conscience is clear that he does everything uh, to the best he can regarding the law, and he believes in the law and everything. It's just that now is the fulfillment of that law. So... Interestingly, he's ordered to be struck in the mouth. Um, you know, the high priest orders somebody to struck, strike St. Paul on the mouth, right? Like to punch him right in the mouth so that he couldn't talk anymore. Here St. Paul responds surprisingly in a very surprising and some would say controversial manner, right? He says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? This is the same St. Paul that says that when he was reviled, he blessed. And when he was persecuted, he endured, right? But here, for some reason, he showed great boldness. And so um, when we read the commentary by St. John Chrysostom and get his opinion on this, although there's other opinions, uh, but like we talked about, we're using St. John Chrysostom's commentary as our guide. He says that he was, when he responded so boldly, 
St. Paul was emphasizing a few points, especially to the Roman commander who was there on the side, right? Who likely didn't know the law. So all he has were impressions to, to go off of. That he was, number one, not being struck for any good reason. It wasn't for breaking of any of the laws that he was struck. Um, that by striking him, they were not following the law, so that they themselves were not following the law as he's being judged by. That he was re not receiving, um, that he was not receiving a fair trial. Let me correct that now. So he was not receiving a fair trial um, by this. So like the, the Roman uh, commander, you know, if he's being judged by the law, he doesn't know any of the law, right? So, but this response kind of makes it clear that they themselves are not judging him for uh, proper reasons, right? That this was an unfair situation. So they couldn't bear with St. Paul's boldness, right? They saw a man that was ready to die. They saw a man that, with boldness, uh, speaking clearly and challenging them to bring any accusation against him, right? We can pause here and talk about this for a little while because oftentimes courage is confused with anger and sometimes gentleness is confused with cowardly actions, right? They'll say if this person is gentle, then he must be a coward. Or if this person's bold and talks with boldness, then he must be um, angry or prideful, right? But here he shows both, right? Because if you read following that, he gently responds, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. That means, you know, this guy, I didn't even know he was the high priest. Um, that Because you're not supposed to speak to the high priest like that. But um, he spoke boldly. And, you know, St. John Chrysostom really believed that he didn't know that he was the high priest. Whether he didn't know or whether um, maybe he didn't acknowledge his high priest uh, status, his title because of the way he was acting. Uh, either way, he did show kindness afterwards and gentleness afterwards. But he did want to make a point to the Roman commander who was there. So then we go on to chapter um, 23. The Roman commander takes him back to the barracks and St. Paul has a vision saying that he would be okay and that he would eventually preach in Rome. But some of the Jews took an oath and plotted to kill him. But St. Paul's nephew hears about this and he tells the commander. He tells St. Paul first and St. Paul tells him, go tell the commander. So the commander sent St. Paul to the governor, Felix. So the commander is just this Roman commander of some soldiers. He sends him to uh, somebody up the flagpole, right? Uh, this governor called Felix. So let's see what happens with Felix. So Felix, five days after St. Paul arrives at the governor's house, um, the high priest also arrives with a lawyer, an, an orator named Tertullius. Um, with a lot of flattery and kind words, Tertullus tells the governor that they didn't mean to trouble him, but that the commander took St. Paul from them by violence and that they were judging him according to the law. And, um, you know, that this St. Paul is a ringleader of a sect that is causing division among the Jews all over the world and profaning the temple. So without noticing, he's kind of praising St. Paul. He's telling him that's, um, that St. Paul's influence all over the world was huge and that he was actually impacting all of the Jews all over the world because by then he would have again gone through three journeys and we talked about those journeys and how it went all the way through Asia Minor and through the Middle East and to uh, Greece and then back again and he goes back and forth uh, three times along those same lines and and he 
talked in the synagogues and he, um, the, for the Jews that were in the diaspora and also converted many uh, Christians uh, among the Gentiles as well. And, late, and earlier uh, we talked about how it was said among the apostles that they turned the world upside down. And St. Paul was one of those leaders, right? So then the governor allows St. Paul to speak. And so he tells the governor that he didn't do these things he's being accused of, that he believes in the law, he believes in the prophets, that he just simply believes that the, uh, that the prophecies are now being fulfilled before our very eyes, now is the time. But that he was persecuted for the way or Christianity, that he believed in the resurrection from the dead. So St. Paul also preached to Felix and, and it says that Felix became frightened but still did not let St. Paul go. And what was the reason why he didn't let him go? You could see the Holy Spirit working in Felix, and we'll see him work in the following chapters with King Agrippa, right, as this thing begins to elevate more and more. And so Felix was frightened, right? And not frightened in like an evil way, but frightened in that the Holy Spirit was beginning to work in him. But what, what stopped the work of the Holy Spirit in his life is that it says that he was looking for money. He was looking for some sort of a bribe from St. Paul to let him go. He was he was set to let him go if if, uh, if St. Paul were to give him like a gift or a monetary gift or something like that, right? But St. Paul wasn't doing that, so he kept him in uh, chains to, to do the Jews a favor. Later on, Festus succeeds Felix as governor, and the Jews quickly made accusation against Paul. So they were very eager to get this new person, uh, you know, uh, Festus, right? They, they reach him first um, and they like they begin to plant seeds of uh, distrust to, to Festus to kind of um, push their agenda with St. Paul. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever watched Godfather the movie, right? And then there's a scene in there that says uh, that Marlon Brando tells Al Pacino, he says, the, the first one who comes to you, he is the enemy, right? So like if you have a new boss or something, People, you know, they first go to that new boss and they try to tell that new boss the, uh, you know, that, hey, don't trust this person. They're trying to push their own agendas with taking advantage of the new person. And, and you know, when you go into a new place like that and you hear and you hear that, you know, these are the troublemakers, right? These are the ones that are uh, taking advantage of Festus's ignorance of the situation because he's the new governor and uh, they try to influence him, right? So Festus, you know, wanting to get to the heart of the matter, holds another little council. Uh, so St. Paul said, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. So Festus says, okay, are you willing to come back to Jerusalem with me? Where the, of course, the chief priests are, and they wanted it at Jerusalem because they had more power there. But St. Paul says, no, I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. Don't put me in their hands. Uh, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to uh, the emperor of Rome. Um, um, and of course, uh, Festus says, okay, if you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And he goes um, and he agrees that he's going to ship him off to Rome. But as they're waiting, the next day, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice, they, um, they come. Uh, King Agrippa was the grandchild of Herod the Great, the great grandchild of Herod the Great who renovated the second temple. So there's this dynasty, right, of kings, um, like a royal kingship uh, from King Herod. Um, but in the end, King Agrippa, even though he was Jewish, he was um, a pro uh, Roman Empire through and through. 
uh, he was um, pretty much just a puppet. He was called the king, but he was a puppet of the Roman emperor Caesar. And in this case, it was Nero who was the Caesar at the time. Uh, even in the destruction of Jerusalem war that occurred in 70 AD, the Jewish Roman war, um, he actually sent soldiers to help Rome uh, in, that, in that battle. Uh, so he was uh, not a friend of the, uh, the, you know, the Jewish people, uh, I guess you would say. So he met the governor, he met Governor Festus and requested also that he can hear St. Paul. So once again, St. Paul, St. Paul's message now is uh, elevated from a Roman commander to, uh, you know, the governor, to two governors, and now to King Agrippa. Um, and King Agrippa allows him to speak. So St. Paul, again, emphasizes these same points, right? That he says that um, uh, King Agrippa, I know you know the law, you're Jewish, you, you know what I'm talking about here, that um, I was brought up among them, I was taught among them, um, but I was, and I've, I followed the law, my conscience is clear, but I'm standing before you right now because I'm telling you now that these Old Testament prophecies and the laws and the fathers, they all led to this moment that we are now fulfilling uh, before your, that are being fulfilled now before our very eyes, that Christ would suffer, that he would be first to rise from the dead, and that, would, that he would proclaim the light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And that all these things are spoken of in the prophets and Moses and the Old Testament and Psalms and Isaiah and so on, right? Uh, he also summarizes how he even persecuted the church and then his conversion story, right? So Festus, the governor, um, says, St. Paul, you're going crazy. But King Agrippa, you know, he, who understands a little bit about the Jewish law and, and the prophecies, he says, you almost persuade me to become Christian. So again, the Holy Spirit's working in his heart as well. Why don't we hear that King Agrippa becomes Christian later? Why don't we hear that he actually responds? It's obviously the Holy Spirit's working inside of him. You almost persuade me to become Christian. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we postpone that work of the Holy Spirit. He, he works in it. We have a thought to get up and read the Bible. We have a thought to get up and go to church. Well, nowadays it's a little more difficult, of course, but we have a thought to do a good deed. You know, we have a thought that, you know, it comes to our thought that somebody is in need and we kind of blow it off. If we don't act quickly, with uh, sometimes time is of the essence when the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something and we blow it off that we don't follow through on it, right? Because he'll never infringe on our free will, but he will say, hey, this person's in need or hey, uh, you know, so-and-so uh, um, needs help or why don't you stand up and come before me and pray uh, and, and pray with me, you know, to me and let's talk together. The Holy Spirit oftentimes tries to promote this kind of um, us to excel or to advance in the spiritual life and to get closer to him and especially to find time with him. He often comes to us asking and begging us to have time with him. And how many times do we blow it off? And so here, King Agrippa has that same act of uh, the Holy Spirit working inside of him and he blows him off. Um, and he, he even says that he was he would have set him free if Saint Paul did not appeal to Caesar, so which was Emperor Nero. 
So then off to Rome he begins, right? And this is a, um, you know, again, you'll find lots of maps on the journeys of St. Paul um, during his four journeys. I like this one here. You can take a quick picture. So we'll, we'll refer to many cities as we go here. Uh, so this will be handy if you take a quick snapshot of this and then we'll refer back and forth to it. Okay, so chapter 27 begins, right? So he begins the journey towards Rome to Italy and um, by various ships. So they do ship hopping until they finally reach uh, Rome. And we'll talk a little bit about some of these adventures that he goes through. Uh, various ships, but with great difficulty. So that it was not smooth sailing, uh, this fourth journey, right? Because of the storms, uh, St. Paul warns everybody that, hey, there are these major storms that are about to happen. Uh, don't go yet. And so they, you know, the commander of uh, the, the soldiers, they, they say, you know what, Let, I'm going to trust that the captain of the ship knows what he's doing. Um, so they travel anyways, and the storm becomes extreme, and they lost all hope, actually. Um, if, uh, if you've ever been on a boat where there were a little bit of waves, it can get quite scary. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they progress, and, and uh, it, it gets really bad, right? But St. Paul uh, gets a visit from an angel who tells him that the ship will be lost, but that no one will die. So he, St. Paul encourages everybody on the ship after he receives this vision. And it says that there were 276 people on the ship, pretty large ship. And St. Paul quickly becomes like their leader because of his character, he quickly becomes their leader on the ship. So the ship eventually runs aground and they jump off the boat and swim to land. They swam to an island in Malta and the natives there were very kind to them, right? They were kindling a fire. Um, and as they were making a fire, the famous story of how St. Paul was helping, right? And you could see how the character of St. Paul, right? He wasn't just sitting around. He saw a need. He was helping. He gathered some wood and he was helping with the fire and a viper comes out and bites him, right? Everybody thought that's it for him. You know, he must have done something really wrong. He escaped the ship, but here he is. He's going to get justice anyways. Uh, but he just shakes it off throws the, um, the uh, viper in the fire and goes on. And they said, okay, he's going to die. He's going to swell up. He's going to die pretty soon. But when time passed, he ends up being just fine. So St. Paul continued to heal many on the island from their diseases and fevers. And they said that he was a god, right? They Like quickly on this island, he became very famous. Uh, the rich guy on the island ends up taking care of him and the soldiers so, you know, he ends up getting a lot of favor, even though he was still officially under arrest. He was kind of the man showing true leadership uh, and, and getting a lot of respect on that island. Eventually, they do reach Rome after, again, more storms. Uh, the soldiers and sailors' uh, impression of St. Paul must have been really, really interesting, right? They heard about his sound advice during this trip, right? His accurate predictions of what would happen, his miracles that he performed on Malta, and the favor that they received from the natives because of St. Paul. They must have held Paul in great esteem. And that's important to know as we see the last years of his life, how St. Luke describes that he had a lot of ability to still preach, even though he was still under house arrest. There he finds fellow Christians when he arrives in Rome, and it says here that he was refreshed from that long journey that uh, he took, and he thanked God. He was refreshed and that he was 
thanking God, to seeing fellow Christians. Here's a man, right, who sees an, an angel on the ship who performs miracles, who does all these amazing things, knows that God is with him, and yet he was still very, like, tired and struggling with the this journey that he just went, this traumatic journey that he went through. And so when he sees his fellow Christians, he is refreshed and he thanks God for it. It's really touchy when you, we talked about the personality of St. Paul a couple um, sessions ago, and we see his amazing personality, just the mere mention of St. Paul kind of rouses um, zeal in one's heart, right? If you really know the kind of person he is. Um, anyhow, he remains under house arrest, but he's given a lot of freedom to do preaching and, and to write many of his epistles. Um, people would also gather there to hear his preaching where he was at. In Rome, um, under house arrest, he, write, he writes most of his epistles, right? Eight out of the 14 epistles, he writes uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Hebrews, uh, Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Um, though a lot of people debate whether or not he wrote Hebrews, let's just assume uh, with church tradition at this point that he did write Hebrews, like St. John Chrysostom says, and many other church fathers say. Um, so he wrote all of these in, in this very difficult situation near the end of his uh, journeys. So that's it for the book of Acts. And what's interesting is that the book of Acts ends abruptly. There's no amen. There's no conclusion. You can, like, as if St. Luke uh, didn't finish writing it, right? And a there's a lot of reasons or a lot of comments as to, far, as to why this is and how it doesn't have uh, a final conclusion. I, I like, the, I personally like, and I, if you have a different opinion, I'd like to hear it. I like the um, the fact that this non no conclusion at the end of the book of Acts shows us that our church, the church is still continuing. The book of Acts is still being written, so to speak, right? It's still being written. All of you are writing it, you know, by your actions, by your struggles, by your struggles with faith, struggles with, uh, you know, persecutions, how we have people that we hear about that are being uh, martyred, how people are struggling with disease and they're still glorifying God. All of these things are still being written, right? And like, which is why our Senexarium is, is read right after we read the book of Acts, we read the Senexarium, right? We talk about how this early church, the spirit of the church is still continuing to this day. We're still in that era of grace that the apostles preached and that the fathers, uh, you know, the apostles taught, that the, the fathers tipped, um, the fathers preached and, and that we kept, right, and that we're practicing till today. Um, so we have by church tradition, like most of the apostles, right, because the, the book of Acts, after all, talks about, mainly focuses on St. Peter and St. Paul. It doesn't talk about the other apostles, right? So we receive through tradition what the other apostles did. Um, so we know that uh, he was eventually beheaded by Nero, the emperor. Um, we know that there, were, there must have been some sort of trial because in 2 Timothy, uh, which was his last epistle, uh, in a prison in Rome, he hints that he had a trial and that no one stood with him. Uh, after all of that, he was standing alone um, at this trial. Uh, we're not sure why St. Luke doesn't talk about his martyrdom. Um, but we know from tradition that he was beheaded, as we know from tradition that uh, St. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, so they both were martyred in Rome. 
um, in Rome right now, there's a, there's a, um, there's a cathedral with St. Paul uh, there as well. I, I had the pleasure of visiting that one day um, about 20 years ago or so. We were, um, and also we know through tradition that St. Luke continued to preach in Rome until he was captured by Nero and he was also beheaded there as well, according to tradition. So there, you know, we have the book of Acts. The book of Acts was very inst like instructional for us, right? We, if we didn't have the book of Acts, we wouldn't have a lot of some of the theology we have. We wouldn't have some of the practices we had. Uh, we wouldn't have had, for example, the model of councils to deal with issues that pop up like Nicaea and Ephesus and Constantinople. Those all, you know, followed the model of um, the, 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 uh, the Council of Jerusalem, right? Um, we, we learned a lot. We learned the spirit of the early church. We learned how the Christians functioned early in their, uh, in, in their early life as Christians. Uh, we also learned something that is very applicable to us, right? That we should not, never limit anyone coming to our church. Um, we are a very traditional church. And we know that uh, when we bring in people from outside, we have to remember the spirit of the early church and to welcome them into our church so that they can also receive the faith, baptism, and all the graces that we receive. And this is something that should cause us great rejoicing, great rejoicing to make us really happy. Um, that is a very important lesson. As they struggled, let's not struggle like the early church because we can learn from what they went through and to uh, say with St. Paul that there's neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. And to, as long as we receive the faith in Christ that we're all the same. So to respect time, I'll end it there. Um, uh, we, you can go back and read uh, the Coptic Senex Serum, which gives a little bit more insights uh, from tradition on how St. Paul uh, passed away. You can also look up St. Luke um, and how uh, they were beheaded and uh, how St. Peter was crucified upside down and so on. So with that, I'd like to hear any questions or any comments that something I might have missed or you want to add. You guys have been very quiet the last few weeks. So, any questions? Well, I guess, yeah, I, I have a question. Might as well, you know. Yes. <laughs> no, why not? Please, right? do. please do. <laughs> I guess, why was there controversy about preaching to the Gentiles at all if Jesus had given the commandment to go preach to all nations? I, I, that's a very, very good question. And I think they struggled with... Um, they struggled with letting go some of the things that they believed were acts of righteousness. Um, and they couldn't imagine like, okay, so if the Jews were not, um, if the, these acts of righteousness are fulfilling the laws of the old Testament, as the church matured, they, and as the Holy spirit worked in people, in people's lives, they began to absorb the truth that these old Testament practices are things that point to Christ, right? And if you if you focus your attention on the shadow rather than the object ca casting the shadow, then you've really missed the point. And the Gentiles, when they come, it's not right to put them through and to make them look at the shadow so that they can see uh, the, the object of attention, which is the one casting the shadow, which is Jesus Christ. 
And so they struggled with that. And part of that, it was so embedded in their traditions that the Gentiles were unholy because they are not practicing these, um, these uh, Old Testament laws, that they are not the physical sons of Abraham. Uh, so that you can call it a little bit of racism. Um, and so how can we not be any different than the Gentiles who we've been warring with all these centuries? Um, they, they couldn't get, they didn't have that same mind of Christ, even though Christ, like you said, Sharif, he mentioned to them that you are going to go to the whole world and preach, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but it was it was a big struggle. It was a huge struggle, um, and it was it kind of um, it permeates throughout the epistles as well for some reason. Do you have do you have a um, do you have any thoughts on that yourself? No, I, I don't. <laughs> That's why I was. Uh, it is it is mind boggling. You know, like take us for example, who are mostly. Uh, let me let me look and see who's here. Uh, all of us are pretty much Egyptian, I think, right? Or most of us. Um, you know, for, you know, Egyptians or Europeans or whatever, for them to say, okay, you know, especially Egyptians, right, who, you know, with the Moses issue and all that, right? Like, how can Egyptians come and be counted equal to others in the faith? It was something that they had trouble wrapping their head around. Um, after centuries of going through, like the Maccabean Revolt, for example, how they resisted uh, the Greek influence, right? It was something that um, that they struggled with. But the, that's why our church is called universal, right? Or Catholic with a small c. Um, Catholic means universal. It's for all people of all cultures, of all races, of all times, right? And it is open to everyone. And that was a message that Eventually, you know, the church did absorb that, but it took time uh, a little bit, especially among the early Jewish believers. I feel I that I there's... I don't know if I answered your question, but um, that those are my thoughts. I'd like to hear if anyone else has any thoughts. I feel like simply Jesus gave us a lot of commandments and they're very straightforward, yet we still sometimes struggle with them. So I think they had the same thing. Yeah, because it was, like Sharif said, it was very straightforward, right? That you're going to preach in, Jude in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the end of the earth, right? So, and, you know, the, the receipt of the, like Cornelius, right? And the mysterious Ethiopian that was baptized, right? Was he Jewish? Some people say he was one of the sons of uh, Queen Sheba from uh, the time of Solomon. Um, or, you know, later on, other Gentiles. They, you know, it was an issue. It's like, and even Christ, you know, he started, even though he says it's not right to give what is holy to the dogs, right? So he, he even, and he says salvation is of the Jews. So there was that tendency. But then he's like, okay, but that was old. Now it's time to turn our attention to uh, the, the truth, right, which is we worship God in spirit and truth, not on this temple, not on uh, this mountain, but in spirit and truth, like he tells the Samaritan woman, right? And eventually, what's no coincidence that when the temple, and, and in these arguments that St. Paul goes through, the temple is always thrown in there. He doesn't like the law, and he's profaning the temple, 
doesn't like the law, profaning the temple. Those two were always the accusations. So when the temple got destroyed, it was apocalyptic. You know, it was so embedded, even among the early Christians. Uh, but when the Christians, because of the persecution, started going into the whole world, they started realizing that the true temple is the Christian himself at Pentecost, right? When we receive the Holy Spirit, God dwells in the hearts of the believers. So the, the temple was exported, so to speak, from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And so now there are temples everywhere, right? We're all the temples of the Lord. And there's, when, the, when, the, um, when the temple was destroyed, it was for Christians like, like, oh, wow, the temple's destroyed, but we're okay. We are the true temple. And so to say that the Gentiles can also be a temple, that was something that took a little bit of time for the, the uh, early Christians to absorb. Anyone else want to add to that? But you can see that um, when we talk about uh, works versus faith, right? It helps to have this perspective and how important it was to the early church, right? And how they wrestled with it. So that St. Paul did write a lot about not performing some of these Old Testament works. But now we know these are the reasons why he talked about that, right? Works of love out of faith, of course, we're going to be judged by that. Of course, it is a criteria for um, salvation, uh, that we have, like St. Paul describes, faith working through love, so that we do good works in faith and in love, right? Those are the three criteria for our works to be beneficial for us. Uh, but not that no works are necessary. If somebody says that, they're really not grasping the, uh, the meanings of the New Testament with regard to faith versus works and all that, right? Uh, they'll take a handful of verses and, and build the religion on that. But instead, we need to really look at the whole context of when uh, St. Paul talks about or belittles works. He's speaking about these works of the law that this controversy is wrapped around. Does anyone have anything add, to add to that, to that point? Bringing it to a more relevant uh, issue that we deal with today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's some controversial things happening right now that uh, yeah. mirror this, I think. In the <laughs> no, yeah, such as what, Sharif? Like the, uh, the, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that? Is, is uh, that no, sorry, what would you mean by that one, I guess? Like with the, uh, the racism and stuff? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Or yeah. Something? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, absolutely. And uh, but Christianity's spirit speaks against all that, right? I mean, once we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are equal, equal, no matter what your background, no matter what your um, even no matter what your sins in the past were, we are equal in dignity, worthy of the kingdom of heaven. If we're worthy of the kingdom of heaven, what about the rights on earth? Of course, we're worthy of that right? Um, if God has placed us on such a high level, shall we deny other people the lesser things in this life? Of course we shouldn't, right? They are worthy of every equality, every uh, justice, and, and all of that. So um, it is very relevant, right? It's still the same issues that we deal with today. You know, the one thing that I do find... Uh 
very interesting is that the the disciples that heard it directly from Jesus afford the preaching to the Gentiles, and the one that never met him in person is the one that advocated for it. Yeah, well, well he did, yeah, but he didn't meet him before the ascension, you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, exactly. And um, I do find that very interesting that even though St. Uh, Peter and St. John and St. James, right, uh, who some, some people say he was pretty much the president or the, um, uh, the chairman of the board of this Council of Jerusalem. Um, even he asked St. Paul, hey, just appease the Jews and, and, and purify yourself uh, in, in this or that. So um, it was, it's, it's very interesting. It just shows you how embedded it is in, in their belief. Uh, but eventually, we know that, for example, St. Peter uh, agreed with St. Paul after the rebuke, that famous rebuke that St. Paul gave him. Uh, he agrees with him. And after all, he does preach in Rome and he preaches among the Gentiles. He was, uh, you know, martyred in a Gentile land, not in, a, um, not in an area that, uh, you know, not in Jerusalem, right? Um, I have a question here. Why did Jesus tell them to stay in Jerusalem before starting to preach everywhere else? Um, he says, and this is the comments, he starts in Jerusalem and then he goes north, right? J Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. So he first preaches to the sons and, and daughters of the uh, Old Testament era, right? That they... Um, they received the uh, the law and the prophets, and it, and they are the first ones to receive the message. And this is again according to prophecy, right? That they would receive the message, and that a lot of them would believe, and a lot of them did believe. Um, even in Egypt, um, when he preached in Egypt, a lot of people say Ananias, uh, the one that Saint Mark converted, was probably a Jewish person because it was a a lot of Jewish um, uh, a big Jewish community in Alexandria. Um, and he claimed, oh, one God, right? He, that was his thing, oh, one God, right? And then, then it makes sense that a Jewish person would say that. So the Jewish people, not just in Jerusalem, but were the first ones to be preached to, and especially in Jerusalem, right? And um, not only in Jerusalem, but when St. Paul were to go throughout all the Gentile area in the diaspora, right? Who did he preach to first? He, he preached in the synagogues first. He would go in the synagogues and preach there. Even when he went to Rome, some of the first people he spoke to were Jewish people there. And then he also spoke to the Gentiles, right? And it ended up growing and growing both among the Jews. Many believed, some didn't, some did. And among the Gentiles, a lot of people believed. Some people did, some people didn't. But those were the early churches. So all these small little churches, and it grew from Jerusalem to everywhere. And why Jerusalem first? Well, that was the center, right? That was where Christ was crucified. It was right outside the walls of Jerusalem. That's where the city of peace, that's the, the whole history behind Jerusalem. It makes sense that Jerusalem is the first place where uh, the preaching occurs, right? That's where Pentecost happened. Um, that's where the church was first founded in Jerusalem. And then it grew from there. Hopefully I'm answering these questions. Any other questions or comments? All right, let's end it there. 
In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've given us. And here's when we say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one through Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The love of God the Father, grace of his only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion and gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Depart in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you.